Well, hi everybody. Uh, I think you know that this, this seminar is creating a culture of hospitality. And we were to be hosted by somebody who's not well. So we are going to just welcome you uh, to this seminar and say, we are so aware, Alison and I, that this <laughs> seminar is probably full of people who are practicing hospitality, who do it really well. And actually, when I look around, I've received hospitality from a lot of you. So we are so not here as experts who've got it all sussed, who think we are the gurus of hospitality or how to. We really want this seminar to be a little bit interactive and to help us all to think a little bit outside the box of what does this mean actually to create a culture of hospitality. So right at the outset, may I pray that the Lord would just be with us in this time. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful morning, for the freshness of this day, for the opportunity that we have to sit with you together and help each other to think a little bit creatively about what it is to create a culture of hospitality. And Lord, we just invite you by your Spirit to just come amongst us that we will hear what we need to hear, that we will let go of what isn't relevant to us, and that all of us would actually become more Christ-like through this time together. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a little bit about why, well, I never know why we get asked to do these things, but anyway... Um, we, as I said, we don't come in any way as experts, but I would say I, I can stand here and say I have received very generous hospitality uh, through my lifetime and gracious hospitality in many homes in different countries and different cultures. And I think Alison can say that too. And for me personally, uh, one thing we both, we have many things in common, but we've both grown up in large families. And I grew up in the south of Ireland in a ministry home as one of six siblings where hospitality and inviting people in and just giving opportunity for uh, fellowship around the table was just part of life for me. And I, I do want to recognize that's not everybody's experience. My husband, who some of you know, comes from being an only child with parents who died when he was quite young and having no siblings. And he says when he joined our family, it was like joining a tribe. <laughs> he either had to get stuck in and get on with it or be miserable. So I think he's enjoyed it. <clears throat> But I would say, too, in uh, the, the offering of hospitality, my growing up years at home in Cork, we met so many interesting people. I didn't always like it. I can remember age 14 when my mom was doing yet another catering and assuming that I would take the trolley and be smiling and be nice and thinking, I will never marry a minister. I can actually remember gritting my teeth and saying, Lord, never. And uh, 
Well, that's been interesting. And I think it was because it was expected. And I always felt I had to be nice. And I didn't feel very nice, especially when one day I was taking the trolley up a step from the kitchen to the dining room and everything slid and the whole lot went crash, bang, wallop. And I thought, oh, I don't really like doing this. When I left home to do nurse training in the Royal, um, that actually was a big learning time for me because I realized that actually my growing up experience was not everybody's. And that was good for me to learn that. And so we want to recognize that you come and I come with different nurture experience, different growing up experience, some different cultural experiences. So we don't want to make the assumption that we've all come from the same experience. But I will forever be grateful to those who welcomed me into their homes when I came to Belfast as a trainee nurse. And there, I'm not going to name them, but there are a few people now that I go to visit who just were family to me when, in those years when I was away from home. And we're going to come back to that later. And then we were missionaries in Chile for a few years. We went with four children, five and under. And before we left a family in Hollywood, uh, they had three children. We had four, five and under, and they we lived with them for six weeks. Now, I didn't realize at the time what an extraordinary thing that is to offer your home to six people in that situation. And I was chatting with a friend recently about when we arrived in South America, and she was making me laugh because she said, Helen, you opened your suitcase and the only thing she can remember about my suitcase with all these little babies was a pressure cooker full of nappies. <laughs> and I said, you see, that pressure cooker for me was survival because I thought, how am I going to feed my children? How am I going to manage in a culture where I don't speak the language and all of that? And I learned with that pressure cooker, the good thing is you can just keep beans boiling and have a kettle boiling. And it's amazing how you can add stock. And we started with six people and mostly had 10 for meals and upwards of that. So just in the introduction of where I'm coming from and what's been my experience, I would say I've been so grateful to be on the receiving end of hospitality in many homes uh, in, in different places. And I, I am so grateful for, for that. And Alison's going to tell you a little bit about where she's coming from in terms of hospitality. Thank you, Helen. Um, Helen has just said that she and I have similar journeys. We certainly do. Um, I have been a nomad in life and have just found myself moving to my 19th home. Can you believe it? I can hardly believe it myself, and I'm not a compulsive mover. Um, I've lived in America with, uh, for five years, and the southern states are known for their hospitality. I've had the privilege of traveling widely with my husband Douglas, who's now safely home in heaven, and his wonderful new home. And uh, we were extended and received the warmest of hospitality in many, many cultures and countries, and very, very often in the poorest of circumstances. 
And we had to learn to be very grateful to receive the sacrificial food that they gave us and not to be worried about whether we got sick or not. One of my first experiences of hospitality, receiving hospitality, was as a student in Edinburgh, where an Irish family um, uh, took me in every Sunday for tea. And I so appreciated that every Sunday I went to their home and had tea, and then we went to church together. And my most recent experience has been coming back to New Horizon. I no longer have a home in Port Stewart, so I'm staying with a very, very dear friend whose hospitality is extraordinary. And I've just received her hospitality. And when I moved to Moira, somebody knocked on my door with a meal, complete stranger, from a lovely ministry in Moira that is happening down there called A Place of Grace. And I just spent five days looking after two grandchildren and I was totally exhausted and no food, just moved thinking, where am I going to get something to eat today? And the Lord provided it. Totally amazing. Douglas and our homes together were always open for hospitality. It was one of the ways that we felt we could get to know our congregations. And we had six children, so I can tell you the fine china was given away long ago. The dining room table was never used. We just extended the kitchen table. And uh, I filled the pots. I was known as the lady or the house with the big pots. There were no menus, just very basic. Very often there were no desserts even. And you can imagine with six children, it was quite chaotic at times. I'll just tell you one funny story. I don't know why I did this, and I don't remember who the people were, but there was no such thing as a tablecloth or napkins. But one day, I did put a tablecloth on the kitchen table, and my youngest, Peter, came in as we were all coming to the table, and he said, Mum, what on earth are you doing with a curtain on the table? (laughs) He'd never, ever seen a tablecloth. (laughs) We also had a ministry to singles in our home, um, especially single people who were in ministry. And they used to come in the evening after elders' meetings or committee meetings or meetings elsewhere and knock on the door. We'd have tea and coffee and sit around the fire. And... um, I'm still passionate about that whole area, which I'll share with you later. And very often those singles needed to debrief. They just needed space and time. And very often Douglas and I went to bed and we just said, pull the door behind you. And uh, they left whenever they were ready to leave. However, more and more I find in our fast changing world, in our culture today, that I need to work harder at the giving and receiving of hospitality. And I'm going to try and unpack why that is. Isn't it all too easy just to go home and close the door? It really is. Hospitality has an interesting definition. I'm not sure... Okay. 
and I love this definition, the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers, including receiving and treating guests in a warm, friendly and generous way. And it's also related to the word hospital, which is all about compassion and care. So what is our cultural scene today? A secular writer, Robert Putman, in his book, uh, reveals that there has been a 33% decrease in families eating together over the last three decades. And more than half of those families sit in front of the television or using screens. Over the same period of time, there's been a 45% decrease of entertaining friends. Many new homes no longer have dining rooms. And I have a niece working with the UN in New York. And when she went to look for an apartment, she discovered that apartments in New York no longer have kitchens. Everybody eats on the run, breakfast included. In the affluent West, loneliness is hugely on the increase. And I know that there have been lonely people here at New Horizon because I'm on the prayer team and we have been privileged to meet them in the prayer tent. Loneliness has been named as a disease and many of you will know that a minister for health for loneliness alone in the government has been appointed to tackle this sad reality of modern life. In a recent Times article, 80%, these statistics are shocking, 80% of under 18 said they feel lonely. And 60% of those same young people said they find it difficult to make friends in real life compared with online. And in the same survey, 68% of over 80s said they feel lonely. Huge statistics. So what has happened? What has happened in our society? Firstly, society today has embraced a culture of individualism. There are more people living alone and aging alone than ever before. And I am now one of those people. Do you remember 40 years ago, people, children who didn't marry lived with their parents. It's not deemed appropriate today for an adult child to be still living with their parents. Nor do you find today elderly parents living with their children. So there's this society that we have created of individualism. Secondly, there's a massive rise of communication technology, and we're all aware of that. Smartphones, social media, and the internet. You know, we may have hundreds of friends on Facebook and Instagram, but when it comes to human relationships, it turns out that there is no substitute for building those relationships than face to face together.
this is a very insightful video clip that I'm going to show you. Did you know the average person spends four years of his life looking down at his cell phone? Kinda ironic, ain't it? How these touch screens can make us lose touch. But it's no wonder in a world filled with iMacs, iPads, and iPhones, so many eyes, so many selfies, not enough us's and we's. See, technology has made us more selfish and separate than ever. Cause while it claims to connect us, connection has gotten no better. And let me express first, Mr. Zuckerberg, not to be rude, but you should reclassify Facebook to what it is, an anti-social network. Cause while we may have big friend lists, so many of us are friendless all alone Cause friendships are more broken than the screens on our very phones We sit at home on our computers measuring self-worth by numbers of followers and likes Ignoring those who actually love us, it seems we'd rather write an angry post And talk to someone who might actually hug us, am I bugging? You tell me, cause I asked a friend the other day, let's meet up face to face they said, all right, what time you want to Skype? I responded with OMG, SRS, and then a bunch of SMHs and realized, what about me? Do I not have the patience to have conversation without abbreviation? This is the generation of media overstimulation. Chats have been reduced to snaps. The news is 140 characters. Videos are six seconds at high speed. And you wonder why ADD is on the rise faster than 4G LTE. But... Get a load of this. Studies show the attention span of the average adult today is one second lower than that of a goldfish. So if you're one of the few people who are aquatic animals that have yet to click off or close this video, congratulations. Let me finish by saying you do have a choice. Yes, but this one, my friends, we cannot autocorrect. We must do it ourselves. Take control or be controlled. Make a decision. Me? No longer do I want to spoil a precious moment by recording it with a phone I'm just gonna keep them I don't want to take a picture of all my meals anymore I'm just gonna eat them I don't want the new app, the new software, or the new update And if I want to post an old photo Who says I have to wait until Thursday? I'm so tired of performing in the pageantry of vanity And conforming to this accepted form of digital insanity Call me crazy, but I imagine a world where we smile when we have low batteries Cause that'll mean we'll be one bar closer To humanity I think that's a very, very insightful video clip. You see, God created us for relationship, both with himself and with one another. And Genesis 2 tells us that, you know, God created. He knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And the actual definition of the word hospitality is in itself countercultural to what is happening all around us. So what has happened to hospitality? What has happened, folks? 
I believe it's become commercialized and we've entered into this world that I've just described. The DNA within all of us is to seek out company. Somebody put up on Facebook recently a very derogatory comment on old people sitting in shopping centres. Now, I don't ever hardly reply to anything on Facebook, but I did reply to that one. Why are they there? Because of the warmth and the company that they receive from each other. How sad. And coffee shops. Have you ever seen so many coffee shops arrive in this generation in the last decade. Taylor Clark, another secular writer, says that the secret of Starbucks success is not its coffee, but rather the pull of the coffee house as a cosy space to socialize. Starbucks research showed that people wanted above all else a cosy space and social atmosphere. Starbucks and the hundreds of other coffee shops around the place is selling us hospitality. We no longer drop in on each other or knock each other's door. We prefer to pop into the coffee shop. In scripture, uh, hospitality is a well-worn path or thread Our ultimate foundation of Christian hospitality is the act of God's hospitality towards us. His willingness to send his son and Jesus' willingness to die for us so so that ultimately we would become members of his household. And in the older scriptures, and note I'm not using Old Testament, way back in Leviticus 19, the people of God were instructed to treat well the stranger and to love him as yourself. And I love the story of the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. She willingly offered hospitality to the prophet Elijah when he turned up out of her meagre resources. And she even said to the prophet, she told him she didn't have a single piece of bread left. All she had was a cup of flour and a little oil that she was going to bake her last cake for her and her son. And she never expected her generosity and willingness to serve, to bring the surprises that it did. Her hospitality didn't depend on her circumstances or her meagre resources. And when we go further into scripture, this calling to be hospitable is re-emphasized for us as Christian community. In Romans 12, Paul instructs the believers to contribute to the needs of the saints, to practice hospitality and to pers- or to pursue hospitality. I love that word, pursue. This is a continuous action. It's not a once and for all gesture. It needs to be a constant attitude and practice. 
And in the early church, we remember in Acts where the believers had everything in common together. And Peter tells the believers in 1 Peter 4, he encourages them to practice hospitality. Listen to this word, ungrudgingly to one another. So folks, it's not a tit-for-tat situation. Oh, she's had me, so I'll have to have her. I never get into that. I've been in Helen's lovely home many times recently, and uh, I haven't had her back yet. And I know it's fine with Helen, which is lovely. Hebrews tells us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For you may entertain angels without realizing it. And look up the references in the, in the old scriptures where that actually took place in, in Genesis and in Judges for Abraham and Sarah and Manoah. And those um, surprising meetings with the angels had very far-reaching implications. And I love the scripture in Matthew and Mark, a cup of cold water. Do you know, that's all it takes. I spent many, many years in the chemo unit um, in, in Belfast with Douglas. And they have volunteers who work there. And do you know all they do? Is they bring cups of cold water and cups of tea. Many of the chemo patients can't have tea and coffee because of their chemo and they just drink lots of water. That was such a blessing, folks. A cup of cold water. We have a book here with us that is on the bookstall and that book has that title. And you have a handout. Um, let's look at the example of Jesus. Um, he was both involved in the giving and receiving of hospitality. By just looking at the book of Luke alone, there are more handouts up here. Here, the table was the center and was the most common element for Jesus. And there are at least 10 events in the book of Luke, some with large groups, some with individuals, all involved were a whole motley group of people. And for Jesus, hospitality involved welcoming, creating space, listening, paying attention, and providing. And notice that providing comes at the very end. That's very often our focus, isn't it? Haven't anything that I can make or cook or bake in the house that truly folks doesn't matter in a few moments we're going to go into buzz groups and I know we're a large group here but I want you to go into groups of four or five or whatever works for you and I want you to share together your stories positive stories and experiences of the giving and receiving of hospitality. What does hospitality look like for you? What strangers or unknowns have you given hospitality to? And I love this quote. Hospitality is an action of love 
shown to those we love and to those we don't know. It is not an extension of wealth, but rather an extension of self. An ex- sorry, but rather an extension of self regardless of our means. So let's go into those buzz groups and share our stories together. And then Helen's going to tie that up for us um, in about five or ten minutes. Thank you. Okay, if you just take another moment to wind that up, please. And um, I know that actually you've probably only begun to get going. Okay, can we call it to order, please? I always say, I wish I'd been a school teacher because I'd know how to call order. Can we just... Can we please ask you to just draw this down to a close? What a <laughs> Okay, thank you. Thank you. I think what is very obvious is that you've all, and we, we chose to put the word in here, positive experience, because we didn't want it to be a gripe or a moan which church people are so good at. But we did want it actually be you share a positive experience of both giving and receiving hospitality. And I would say what the buzz in the room would show that actually you've had so much experience of both giving and receiving hospitality. And I think all of us would just be so grateful for the times when we have had a positive experience of not just maybe giving but of receiving hospitality when I asked my husband what his understanding of hospitality was he just immediately replied oh hospitality is making others feel at home when you really wish they were (laughs) (coughs) so don't ever go to his house and um Yesterday, I was looking after my grand- one of our granddaughters, and I was driving, and I said, Kimmy, I'm doing a seminar tomorrow about hospitality. What do you think? What would come to your mind if I was talking about hospitality? What would you say? And I loved her answer, and she thought for a moment, and she said, well, you might think this is a bit strange, but isn't hospitality about being like a hospital? where you hope that people come into your home and feel better when they've left. I thought, I love that. We're going to take a few moments now in just thanking you, Alison, for that just biblical insight. There's so much more we could obviously go into in in terms of what we know together is that as Christian people, it's God's will that we should both give and receive hospitality. But what does that mean? And I want to draw a distinction between hospitality and entertaining. This is just part of what we want to do to get us thinking. What is the difference? Well, in hospitality, isn't it about an open heart, that warmth, that sense of welcome? Sometimes with entertaining, it's about only when you're invited and only when it suits me. Whereas hospitality is more about that prepared place, 
that open heart and home. Entertaining can be a bit more about a desire to impress. Hospitality, when it's true and genuine, is all about the person we're welcoming, whereas entertaining can see more about stuff and things. Welcoming the stranger, as Alison mentioned, is true hospitality. But actually, you know times when you've been entertained and you've been kept at a safe, arm's length distance. In true, genuine hospitality, we're building meaningful relationships. And like Alison referred to, I just don't get this thing of payback with hospitality. We've had you, you've had us, and we must owe you. I just think we need to crack that. That's not a good way to feel that we're going to have people in our homes. In hospitality, aren't we seeking to build meaningful relationships and create a climate of trust and mutual respect? No pressure, no payback, that freedom to come and freedom to go. In true, true genuine hospitality, it's about presence. You know, sometimes, folks, when you are in a situation and actually you don't even need a meal because there's presence, it's good to be there. I love that. When you know that somebody isn't distracted, they're present with you. I think that's actually one of the things we need to reclaim in the church is presence. I think it's the greatest gift we can give each other is to be tuned in and present. We actually, I hadn't planned to say this, but I think it's a huge thing in, in home life and family life is being present with each other. We had a family reunion last year. I'm one of, as I said, six siblings. There were 12 of us there. And at one stage, to my shame and horror, every single person was on a smartphone. And we looked at each other and we said, this is a reunion. We don't get to see each other very often. We're having time together and we're all on smartphones. Yeah, maybe connecting with our children and all that. But we all agreed to put them away because it's so easy not to be present. What about presence? Acceptance at ease. You see, in entertaining, it's a taskmaster. It has the sense of, I need to, I ought to, I have to. But in true hospitality, it's a freedom and, and at ease. Place of safety and shelter. No comparisons drawn. And that... Other thing that I think we do want to say in this context is that fellowship of joy and suffering. We've had lots of times of suffering and, and pain in, in my family. And you know the people that it's good to have around you who have that fellowship in not just the joys and the elations and the good days and the happy days and the celebrations, and there have been lots of those, but for those who you know can be present with you in the times when there's the heartbreak. So entertaining, we would say, has little to do with true hospitality, but can be more about impressing, keeping at a safe distance, offering that true hospitality where there's genuine welcome, warmth, and acceptance. Isn't that that phrase that we hear a little bit too often, but we need to unpack again? is it's unconditional. It isn't conditioned on how you behave 
or what your home looks like or what you're wearing or any of that. I love, too, the concept or the thought of it being free, freely come and freely go. Because you do know situations that you're in, in terms of hospitality, where there's that feeling of pressure to meet an expectation. As Christians, we offer hospitality out of the heart of sharing God's love. In John 1.16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received. We here have received so much in terms of the grace and the mercy of God. And isn't it out of the abundance of what he has blessed us with? And I don't mean just materially. Yes, that might be part of it, but actually it's a heart thing. It's out of the abundance of mercy, grace, restoration, relationship, that we want to share his grace, his love, his mercy, his freedom, where that love of Jesus would overflow. And it just doesn't want to become something that is a pressure to perform. Hospitality may be about offering a good experience of homecoming. And I wonder, are there some of you here and you have uh, students at home? We had four students in our home at one stage, four family who were away at university and coming back. Very interesting uh, time, I tell you. When you know that they're going to come back different, their experiences change them, you've got used to not having them. Yeah, that's nice. That's That can be... I, some people moan about that, and I say, well, there's actually something quite nice about it. But it is also having your heart in a place to welcome them home when they come home. And one of the things I learned was don't change their bedrooms. I know they might be tips. You could empty the dead mugs and do a few tidy-ups, but don't change their pad, their space. But isn't it actually, folks, about that safe haven. Is there somebody in your sphere at the moment and you need to think about homecoming? Have you a prodigal in your family? And you need to have in your heart always, I want my heart and my home to be ready for the day when they come home. We all need safe places where it feels good to come home. You know, one of the things that's so hard for some kids is they don't have the good experience. And not just children, but as Alison said, adults. But, you know, what all of us in this room can do, we can create safe places. There are a lot of people who don't know where safe places are. We can create safe spaces and places for people to be put at ease. What about, uh, I remember Jill Briscoe saying, and you may have heard this, even when your fledglings have flown the nest, there's always other birdies with broken wings who need a safe nest. I actually took that seriously, and that's something we've sought to do. That yes, the birdies may fly out of our nest, but there are others with broken wings or damaged situations or um, who hurt. And somebody said, and my mom was a great one for this, that home is somewhere that you start from. 
and some need a place, a safe place to nest in, but others need somewhere to launch from. So there's a freedom in that as well, where it's not about what you owe me after all I've done for you. You know that guilt thing? I remember one of our girls saying, Mom, don't give me the guilt trip anymore. I don't want any more guilt. I wasn't aware that I was doing that, but I did need to be challenged. Alison has mentioned loneliness. There is an epidemic of loneliness, and that loneliness is not just outside the church. That is also going on within church. And as Alison mentioned about Tracy Crouch, the government minister for loneliness, May God have mercy on us that we're a society of people where we need a minister of loneliness. And that was after the legacy of Joe Cox. But let's zone into where we're at. This is a challenge to us in the church. Creating a welcome, offering friendship and hospitality is so needed in our community. Simple acts of, of companionship and creating community. Somewhere to feel welcome. And I love the thought, too, that it's not just the welcome, but it's the sense of replenishment. What, am I, what can I do that actually is considering what that person needs, not what I think they need, but what, I, what they would like to have or receive that would help them to feel replenished? Jesus loved to return to Bethany where he could relax, be with friends, not have pressure on him. And yes, we often think of Mary and Martha relating to hospitality. And I think Martha gets a bit of a hard time because I'm definitely Martha. I definitely faff about sometimes. But, you know, and I do remember with my, (laughs) I'm glad this isn't maybe being recorded with my sister thinking, I wish she'd get up and do something because I'm doing everything. So if you're the Martha like me, sometimes we do not need to actually be the ones who, uh, yes, appreciate the effort that it takes, but also make time for being in the presence of Jesus. And I say that because I think it's out of being in the presence of Jesus we discover more of what it is we can offer, what it is he would like us to offer. So it's not me laying condition on, well, this is me, this is how I am, so take it. This is actually about discerning from God. Lord, what would you have me to offer this person in this situation? And and responding to the prompting of his Holy Spirit. I have lovely friends who say, but I can't entertain, but I can, I don't cook, but I've got really good at arranging food nicely. Do you know what? If you just are somebody who can arrange food nicely, go for it. Don't let it be an excuse that you can't cook. Because actually it's okay to arrange food nicely. As one of my sisters-in-law said to me, there's nothing worse when you've bought in stuff and somebody asks you for a recipe. (laughs) So let's be free. You know, we don't have to have this bondage of having to present the tray bakes just exactly as they ought to be or the meals in in a perfect picture. When hospitality is mentioned in scripture, there are zero instructions about home decor, menus, table settings, not about a perfect picture and a place of perfection. Let's release each other from that. Have you ever been caught out when the house is in chaos? I can remember a time, and some of you here have young children, 
and we had three little ones at that time and I remember early in the morning the doorbell went and I must have gone oh no and Ali went to the door opened it and said mummy said to tell you she's not in (laughs) I don't think I quite said that but I'm sure I inferred it and that lovely lady said did she indeed well I think I know your mum well enough to know I need to come in roll up my sleeves and do something And Isabel came in and rolled up her sleeves and cleaned and got alongside me and helped me so much. And, you know, let's be real with one another when that's actually what's needed. Sometimes I think we maybe think we need to present something that is really, you know, special. But actually, sometimes what's needed is something very ordinary, something that's really accessible and something that's very, very practical. And I think in that context, Alice and I would say, hospitality need not always be focused on food. We're food obsessed, aren't we? Whereas actually, it can be about the cup of water. It can be about uh, having that open heart sense of welcome. And this reminds me of one day walking through a street in Dublin where there was a rough sleeping lady and seeing a girl down on the ground beside her, giving her a cup of water. And I realized I knew the girl. And I just walked on. But I said to her at another time when I met her, I'll never forget the picture of you sitting at that lady's level where her world was and just giving her something. But actually what she was giving was priceless because it was presence. It was acceptance. Um, Alison's daughter, Alwyn, gave me this book recently, and I've read it called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And some of you might, this is on the bookshelf, if somebody would be interested. It's really talking about radical hospitality. And they say, it says, those who live out radical, ordinary hospitality see their homes not primarily as theirs, but as part of God's gift to be used to further his kingdom. Are we being stewards of our homes or are we, are they, have they become our castles? The gospel comes with a house key. When our homes as Christians are open, we make transparent to the world that's watching what Christ is doing in a post-Christian world. And I love the phrase in this book that actually I've been challenged through preparing for this seminar. Am I hospitality ready? And what does that mean? Are you hospitality ready? Do you live with a frame of mind that actually is ready? Are you living with an attitude and a heart that is open and ready? And that means being open and ready before God and then being open and ready to who he might bring. When we had uh, the, the church that we were part of in South America was a house church that met in our home. And we never knew who was going to turn up or how many we were going to have for lunch. But we did meet the most incredible people. And we had this guest come one day. And I thought he seemed a very distinguished gentleman, but I had no idea who he was. And, of course, Ken did his usual and said, join us for lunch. And the children were chaotic, and it was all a bit bedlam. 
and we had this lunch around our kitchen table and I thought Ken did a rather clever thing. He said, would you mind signing the visitor's book? And he signed it, Lord Nicholas Hervey. (laughs) And he was on a round-the-world trip and he just loved being around a kitchen table with a family and just having ordinary hospitality. How do you feel, and this is a challenging question for all of us, about offering hospitality to those who don't have a lifestyle that we're really very comfortable with? That's a question I think we in the church need to engage with. I've been challenged recently about this. It's okay when we're comfortable in our zone doing things our way, but are we really open to God asking us to be alongside somebody who doesn't have a lifestyle that we are familiar with or comfortable with. In Acts 28.30, we read, when Paul was under house arrest for two years, he welcomed all those who came to visit him. His place was prison, really. He was under house arrest. But he found a way of having people where he was. And sometimes I think, you know, we need to be sensitive. I'm sure we need to be sensitive to times and issues that for others it might be illness, might be relationship issues, financial challenges. I can think of friends of mine who are in working with uh, Prison Fellowship and they are finding a way of offering hospitality that is certainly not conventional. So not, let's, not, let's think creatively and outside the box. One of our families involved in Safe uh, Families Network where they offer respite to a child once a week who needs respite from a home that's very difficult with children with profound needs. So they take a child once a week and just let him have family life. And he's the one that gets taken out of the pressured situation. We need to think about capacity. Important to be aware of our capacity and the season of life for us and for others around us and who we need to communicate with. What about culture? Are we, sometimes I think we need to be aware of the culture of those we're inviting and their cultural differences. We could say so much about that. Boundaries. Are we respecting safe boundaries for those who come into our home as well as for those whose home it is? I say that because actually that's been a very costly thing for us. And some of you know that story and I'm not going to go into it now. But we do need to have respectful boundaries for those who come into our home and for those whose home it is. There are times, I think, when you have teens in a home and you have young family, you need to be considerate together about how that is to both receive and offer hospitality. Elderly parents, sick family members. Folks, I would say start from where you are with what you have. Don't promise what you can't deliver. You've all had the, oh, I must have you around, and it never happens. Offering hospitality need not be restricted, as I said, to our homes, but what about our church family? What needs to happen that you could actually be a part of in your church family, that you could be the one that initiates and helps to build something there? And then we just wanted to finish this section with Lydia. In Acts 16, 13 to 16, you know the story of the potential that was seen in Lydia. 
On the Sabbath, because there was no synagogue, Paul and his companions made their way to the river, a place of prayer. They spoke with the women gathered there, and Lydia responded. She was probably well-educated, perhaps a wealthy person of influence, dealer in purple cloth. God had been at work in her life. She is described as a woman who was a worshipper of God. She was listening. But the key thing here is God, the Lord opened her heart. Lydia responded. She wanted to go deeper. And when she and her household were baptized, she invited them to her home. And it's God that does the transforming. So let's just be open to what he might do. And Alison's going to draw this to a close. Thank you, dear Helen, for that. There is just so much that we could say. Uh, We haven't got time to finish it all. Um, Living out the gospel means that in God's economy, nobody should miss out on the goodness of God. And I'm just going to focus on finally on one or two areas in our church context. I've recently become a widow, as you know. It's been an interesting journey within the church. Um, I go to church. I've never missed a Sunday since Douglas died. And Sundays can be difficult going home on your own, as I've discovered for many people. And I had a wee chat to the Lord about it one day, and I said, Lord, what can I do about this? And I've just been amazed at what the Lord did with this. I didn't worry about the food. I can tell you I'm no food connoisseur like my lovely sister-in-law. I created a little invitation. And I invited 10 people from my, from my church. I did this once a month. 10 different people. Um, Families, teenagers, widows, singles, mixed them all up. And I just put on the invitation, please come. I'll give you tea and coffee and light the fire. Bring what you want, tea or um, sandwiches, cakes, fruit. I gave them a few suggestions. And if you've diet requirements, bring them as well. I didn't organize anything. And I said, we put it all on the table. And we had a wonderful time together. And I discovered that the church started to get to know each other. There was none of this billiard ball Christian business. You know, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. And off we go into our little pockets. The church began to get to know each other. But the second thing I did was, we have a lovely lady in our church, and I love her. And I've visited her since I've been up here. And she has lived with mental health illness for quite a considerable period of time. She had to retire early. And I watched in the church that she was very isolated the years that I was there, and people were not connecting with her because she was a little different, highly intelligent lady. I invited her to every one of my Sundays. She was the only one I invited to every one. And I watched the church getting to know her And when I went back into church every Sunday, I could see church families going up and talking to her because they knew her. They'd got to know her in an open home and in in that space. And it was hard for me to leave. I've suddenly been snatched away from that church. The hardest part of leaving that church fellowship was leaving my friend Susan. And I've asked her permission to share that story with you. Single people is another passion of mine. 
and I was speaking at a Sunday service, PW service somewhere, and I just shared, I said, no single person should go home alone on a Sunday. And I was shaking hands with people coming out in this lovely lady she was in her 50s she says thank you so much for saying that she says I've just received an invitation to lunch and I thought that was so lovely I was with my son last weekend in London lovely little fellowship he said mum you see that old lady over there she never goes home alone she's a widow lady somebody in the church has her for lunch every Sunday Folks, what can we do about this? You know, here's one little tip. I don't know what your church fellowship is like, but how many of us go into church every Sunday and we sit in the same seat with the same people every Sunday? We don't do that if we go to the cinema or if we go to a concert. You know, we move around. Why do we do it in church life? It is one way for you to get to know your church family. Get to know them. Move around. I know a church, they're halfway through the church. They allow the church to sit in their favorite seat. And then they're halfway through. They say, now I want you to go and sit beside somebody you don't know. It's very radical. But, you know, there's no problem in doing that. Let's do that. I also have a passion for... um, Young people working with Exodus, and I'm mentoring many of them. They're young people today are very mobile, and I find that many of them find it difficult to find a church home. That is such a sad reflection on our churches, folks. And they're opting out um, from doing that. I'm now in that position of looking for a church family for myself. And it's a very interesting journey. I'm not afraid to be in my own nor to walk into a church on my own. But it really helps me to get the temperature of what church families are like. So let's be radical. Our time is gone. Helen and I are here to talk to you. We could talk much more about this whole situation of hospitality. Forget about the food and the menus Guys, just open your door. Let's pray together, please. Father God, we thank you for your word to us and that you speak into our hearts. And just keep us open, open to listen, to discern well what you would have us do. Lord, help us to start from where we are with Mm. what you've given us and just see how you will take that those loaves and fishes, and multiply in the way that you know will bring honor to you and bring glory to the name of Jesus. Take us and use us and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.